Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Holtcast. Cole Petum here. As always, and of course, we're joined by Tom Nightingale and Simon O'Regan as well. Of course, we're here to talk all things Aston Villa with a 4-0 loss to Tottenham Hotspur at Villa Park on Saturday. Of course, you guys are going to hear this bright and early on the Monday morning or the afternoon, evening, Tuesday, whenever you're going to listen to this anyways, you're going to know that we've lost if you've been living under a rock. We're going to briefly touch and reflect um, on this loss, but more so we're going to get on to listener feedback, questions, concerns, talking points, and that kind of thing, and just try to put a little bit of a pot of positive spin um, on the villa as of late, because to be honest, we can make this um, podcast probably five minutes if we're just going to talk about a 4 nil loss where we played amazingly well, I would say in the first half, had fantastic XG that some people just live and die by, which still boggles my mind, but regardless, and then just probably some of the worst, probably league one caliber defending I've probably ever seen in my life at times. But anyways, let's go to Tom first, even though that was probably the most depressing intro I've done in a while. How's it going, my friend? (laughs) Yeah, not too bad. Um, Say this every week now, I think, but glad that we've had a little bit of time between the end of the game and us recording this uh, to calm down a little bit. Um, it was a weird one, wasn't it? Like, I think 4-0 is uh, pretty harsh. Like, we weren't good at all, obviously, but 4-0 um, is pretty harsh. It just shows how clinical Spurs are. Like, Kane and Son together is exactly how football should be played in attack, really. Um, compared to us in the first half, where, we, you know, creating creating some decent chances, but my goodness, like, the finishing, just, I don't know, I don't know what you say, really. Um but it's one of those that, like, as soon as we hadn't scored, I think, before halftime, everybody knew what was going to happen. Um, I didn't think it would take, I didn't think it would be quite as quick um, for Spurs getting their second goal after the break, but we knew it was coming, didn't we? Let's be real. Yeah, I mean, it, it is just pain right now, to be honest, and I feel like a lot of Villa fans probably want the season to end. But anyways, let's go to Seb's dad here, Simon O'Regan. Simon, how's it going for you? Um, yeah, he's not actually said bad, by the way. I just want to say, <laughs> I know I was gonna say, and what a way to break it to the poor love. Um, no, uh, I'm all right. I mean, it's a kind of it's a really weird one that yesterday because at half time, sort of me, my brother, and my mates were chatting, and look, we're, we're sort of going, God, We've played really, really well, like, we, we've been all over Tottenham, obviously. In the, it helps that they managed to get themselves no early goals. They didn't have to come out so much out of us. But I thought we were really, really good in that first half. And so, like, you're just thinking, just don't concede as soon as you kick up in the second half and keep it going. And, you know, we, we just, once that second goal went in, there's just, there's a real, there's a real weak mentality that seems to have developed over the last couple of months, which... Is quite worrying actually because it wasn't. I don't remember us being like weak last season like that. So, you know, to go 2 0 down in a game, yeah, okay, it's tough to come back from 2 0 down in the Premier League, especially against a decent team, but it's not impossible. Like, you shouldn't go 2 0 down and just completely crumble. And that's where the concern is. It's all well and good playing as well as we did in that first half, which I don't think should be forgotten but obviously the 4-0 defeat is terrible but we we did play some really really good football in that first half and but for some shocking finishing as them looking at uh that Damien's volley at the back post especially that was a real bad one but um, you can't there's no point playing well like that if at the slightest sign of trouble or adversity they're just going to crumble like that that's something that's got to be got to be changed, but I don't know how you do that. Yeah, and I mean, I think we do have to give plaudits to Hugo Lloris because he was basically um, robotic yesterday. I mean, 
that was the one in swinging cross that he saved off the line, um, denying Jacob Ramsey, basically point blank range. Um, I feel like on another day, probably against another team, a lot of these are probably going in. Um, probably in my mind, the Danny Ings miss on another day. He probably hits it well and it does go in. I just feel like it's it's one of those. And I mean, what was it? The Leon Bailey one in the second half where the uh, Spurs kind of fumbled it at the back. And he, all he had to do is basically pass it into the net, essentially. And he hammers it as hard as he possibly could. And it literally goes like a hairline fracture wide of the post. And you're just thinking, yeah, we're not going to score. And I think even the co-commentator just went, Nope, that's not going in. It's not your day. And I thought, yeah, that that really uh, summarizes that. But of course, it's it's four nil to Spurs with um, just it's just depressing to look at. But anyways, um, Son Hyung Min getting a hat trick, and of course, uh, Kulosevsky scoring as well. Um, I mean, Tom, to kind of break through this one rather quickly before we do get into uh, questions, concerns, and stuff from listeners and Twitter followers. I mean. Again, shooting ourselves in the foot in the third minute. Minute. It's unlucky the bounce that goes off cash, and you kind of sit back and you you wonder maybe I don't know if 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 Konza maybe had an initial clearances a little bit stronger. You think maybe that's avoided, but again, like I said, we're just shooting ourselves in the foot from the get go, aren't we? Yeah, I mean it's just so frustrating. I've seen a lot of talk about it being our best half of the season. I mean, I don't know if I'd go that far. Like it was good. Um, but the problem is like, how can you label it our best half of the season when it starts with conceding and it involves half a dozen missed chances? Like we did play some good stuff, but as Simon, I think Simon hit upon the key point, which is like the only reason we created so many, uh, we created so many chances and had so much of the ball is that Spurs didn't need to have the ball because they scored so early. And from the moment they scored early, it was quite clear, like playing against a Conte side, the plan is just going to be to ride the storm and score a second on the break. And like, lo and behold, it's exactly what they did. And then they added two more for good measure. Like we played well in the first half, but I do think that like if Spurs, I do think a lot of it was almost helped by Spurs scoring the early goal. Like that's the main reason that we were able to exert so much control. It was a good response to conceding, but just again, like the central defensive partnership is just a shadow of what it was, isn't it? Last year. Um, Conta's great, is a really good defender. Don't, I'm not going to get into any like extreme opinions like he needs replacing or anything like that. Don't really, I don't buy into that. But you can't deny that his drop off has been pretty staggering. Um, Ch- Callum Chambers must be, feel very hard done by to have been dropped for Conta coming back. Like I know that you don't want to necessarily kick a player out of the team who's been a core part of your team for a long time, just because like somebody else comes in has, and shows good form. But how long do you persist with stuff that's not working? You can say the same in midfield, like where's the spine? Not being funny. Where's the, where's the solidity and the strength and grabbing the game by the scruff of the neck? Like nobody's doing it. And it's, it's, it's difficult because it's a mixture. I've seen, you know, a lot of talk on social media. So I've seen we've all, I'm sure we've all seen of like, do you blame the manager or do you blame the players? Like, as always, the truth is somewhere in the middle. Like, players aren't really doing enough, not stepping up and taking, like we've seen from McGinn in the past, numerous times during his Villa career, him stepping up, putting Villa on his shoulders. He was doing it earlier this season. We can't forget about that. Um, he was one of the ones who stepped up big time, I think, early in the season after Grealish had gone and we were looking for new sort of leaders in inverted commas in the team. Um, but he's dropped off as well, you know. Um, I don't think it helps that... I don't really feel like people are being played in their best position. Like we've had a lot of, like, Louise being asked to do a lot of defensive duty when, by his own admission, and clearly he wants to get forward a bit more. Say the same for McGinn. Like, you can't rely on McGinn to do the defensive work because he also wants to get forward more. Like, I do think we'll be improved by bringing, I'd love to see Nakamba back in the team. We need a midfield screen in front of the defence whose job it is to just sit, show no real desire to go forward, but just provide some solidity and some protection of the back four. And then obviously looking ahead to the summer, we're probably going to look to upgrade that position. But having said that, you can't just blame the players, I think, because we're a team full of international quality players these days. Like, look at how good, you know, so many of our players performed so well for their countries in the most recent international break. Come back, put them all together, put them on the pitch for Villa, and it's like they've never met each other. It's just, it. 
it's so frustrating, but it's a mixture, isn't it? Like players need to step up, but also I do think that Gerard and the coaching staff, you can't say that they are, they can't get any criticism for it because at some point you have to say you've got to be getting more out of the personnel that we have currently. Yeah, massively. And I think that's, if I'm thinking correctly in terms of the last two games, I think that's three cons of errors that's led to three goals in the last two games, of course. Uh, two against Spurs, and they're both headed clearances that literally went like an, a couple inches in front of him. I don't know where his heading capability has gone. And of course, the slip, maybe it's a bit unlucky. Um, a lot of players were slipping. And actually, I noticed Leon Bailey slipping again yesterday. So I don't know if he puts his studs in half the time. But regardless of that, back to Konza, it's it's just a really weird drop off. Of course, he's out doing um, due to accumulation of cards. Chambers comes in, he does well, and you think, okay, Konza surely has to come in regardless because he's been almost that kind of peripheral figure in some instances at the back at times. And I don't know if he's not buying into Gerard or the system or if it's an external factor away from football or whatever it is. I mean, the guy looks like the player that we just bought and kind of looked like a deer in headlights in the Premier League in his first few starts. And I don't know how you kind of go from the peak of powers all the way down to that again, but it definitely is time for Chambers to come back in and kind of figure things out here for a little bit. But Simon, we'll get the first question in here um, from a, a listener or a follower, I should say, of the 7500 to Holt account. Of course, you can tweet us at 7500 to Holt, little shameless plug there. It's a humorous one, but it is in regards to the first goal. And Jay asks, what if Kane's wayward shot had hit McGinn's arse instead of Cash's nards, he says. What do you think would have happened there, to be honest? Because I know what would have happened, and it would have went all the way in, uh, all the way into Larissa's goal. It would have been the goal of the century. But anyways, what do you think of that? Yeah, I, th- I think uh, I think we'd have probably been all right. The board have long cleared away. I mean, that just like looking at that goal in itself. I mean, that that is unfortunate. I mean, obviously, Conta can do should do a lot better with that header, but Kane, that shot is going so far wide, and to, to come flying off cash and then straight into the path of Son, you know this. The two players that you would not want the ball to fall to via deflections are Kane and Solomon. On both instances, it fell to those two players. So that is unfortunate. But um, that it's unfortunate in one sense, but as I say, Konza should do better with, with that head. If, you, if, if you're backpedaling and you know that you're not going to be able to get that enough power on it, then at least try and head it out wide. Then don't, don't just head it straight back, you know, onto the edge of the penalty box. But I suppose that goes with what we've just been saying there about Cons about there's the form has really dropped off the cliff in the last few weeks. Ever since actually, I think that Leeds game at home where he ended up getting sent off, he's not he's not looked quite right since then. And I don't know whether that's whether it's just a poor in the form that all players go through. It could just be as simple as that. Or I, I think the fact that the midfields. It's the sort of the system that we're playing, it's constantly changing a bit. Some weeks it'll be the fullbacks are bombing forwards all the time. And so McGinn and Ramsey having to pull out wide, which leaves then Mings, Cons and normally the Wii's quite exposed. But then other times it's the fullbacks, they don't go, but the but all the all three midfielders go, and so then the whole back four are exposed. So I think there's a number of factors that are probably contributing to to Conza's form at the moment, but you know, let's let's be honest. No one really is playing well. It's not it's not Esri Conza that just needs to be singled out, but that's not how Villa Twitter tends to work. It's normally you need to pick on one or two players and and just hammer them for a few weeks. And it, it's at the moment, it seems to be Esri Conza. I mean, you you see some some of the uh, opinions you see of people saying that we should be getting rid of him. He's had a bad couple of months, but you know, he's showing that he's a good player. So, you know, let's not go throwing the baby out with the bathwater just yet. Yeah, like, it, it's a really tricky one. Like, you kind of sit back and you look at Villa as of late, and I know there's a lot of question marks for Steven Gerrard. And we know, like, realistically, everyone has to be, I guess, realistic, what I just said. But you know is going to back him to the hill. Like, it doesn't matter. He's going to back him to the hill this summer. And, I mean... 
is there hesitancy within the fan base? Of course, there is going to be when you're not playing well and then you're probably going to be given a significant war chest in the summer. But at the same time, he needs to be back because we need to see what he can really do. The biggest concern for me and Tom, I'm sure you agree. Well, I know you agree because we literally chat about this. I feel like every day of the week, there's just no game plan. And we said this last week and we talked about the lack of identity, but when you have managers come in, typically, I mean, some are more renowned for certain play styles than others. So fair enough. Jared's still a young manager, but I mean, yeah, this isn't your group of players, yada, yada, yada. You did bring in Coutinho in January. You did bring in Luca Dean as well in January. So there's a few there. Maddie Cash just seemed to take like a duck to water to um, Jared as well. He seems like one of the best players on the pitch, really. Um, I mean, he has been all season, but especially under Jared, especially goal and assist production. But I mean, it's all well and good to back a manager, but is there any fear from you coming in with this this lack of really game plan? I wouldn't say there's a lack of ethos and all that kind of stuff, but it's just a really weird one because I, I don't think you could ever go into the next season with the same manager and think, well, how are we actually going to set up? It's difficult, isn't it? Because like the it is a it's a fair comment to say that like these aren't you know. In you know, in the majority, these aren't his players. Like you can't ignore that. That is a fair comment, but it also just can't. It can't be the the excuse, the thing that's trotted out every time, right? Like, okay, they're not your players. Adapt. Like you're a coach. You're not a scout. You're a coach. You're a manager. Like it's okay. They're not your players, and everyone would like to have all of the assets available that they want. And I'm sure in the summer we'll go on you know a huge spending spree and try and solve it that way, but. You also have to coach yourself out of spells like this. And my main concern with him, like, I do think we've improved in some areas, certainly under Gerard, compared with where we were, um, particularly like the, the rut that we were in prior to Dino getting sacked. But um, the big concern for me is like you mentioned Matty Cash there, like out of the players who were here already when Gerard took over in November, and the players that he signed in January. Now we're like mid-April-ish, early April, whatever. Apart from Matty Cash and Jacob Ramsey, is, is there a single player in our squad who's better now than they were 12 months ago? There are several who are worse, I think, or aren't playing as well, at least. Cash, has, his improvement has been really good. Like, And I think part of that is like him breaking through with Poland and everything like that, you know training and playing with Lewandowski like on international duty like so that's like a lot of momentum for him and a, 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 like a, a wave to ride right and he's definitely had some good form this year Ramsey's progression obviously has been remarkable really good but I think Gerard's contributed to that I think Ramsey would have taken a step up compared with 12 months ago had Smith still been in charge um, but I do think Gerard's contributed to that in fairness but like out of the rest of our squad I can't think of anybody who's stepped up a level. Several haven't even maintained their level from last year. And like, at what point do you look at that and say, right, that's a big worry. Like we've signed players in Jan- signed players in January. Uh, Luca Dean's been good when he's played, but my God, three games in a row, he's come off injured or unfit and now maybe out until the season, according to Greg Evans. Like, excellent, brilliant. That's another signing that's worked well. Um, Coutinho has been... Fantastic at home. We don't need to talk about his away, like what's what we've seen from him away. Uh, but it's been very good at home. Buendia is a is a one for me that annoys me because I really thought he'd grown into his role at Villa. And I was ready to pin a lot of hope, I guess, I guess, on him as being one of our major creative forces this season, playing a key role. Um I'd like to see him in the team more, but we had this conversation didn't we, last week and I think in the days since. Um, how do you drop? You're not going to drop Coutinho, are you? Particularly while you're trying to convince him to sign permanently. So, like, there's no route back into the team for Brendia unless we play with two number 10s. And I don't think that really works because I think Brendia and Coutinho are quite similar. Like, Brendia puts in more of a shift defensively, but I just don't really think that playing them together works. Um, so that's a problem that sort of needs solving. But my main concern is like, you know, with lack of improvement of players. Okay, great. We'll go and we'll throw money at it. 
And in some ways, that's a really good thing because like there's clear there's an upgrade to be made in midfield. You buy a you scout well and you buy a good profile of defensive midfielder. And by profile, I mean attributes rather than like big name. Um, if you buy the right kind of defensive midfielder, that does improve us a lot. Because like I said before, with Nakambo in the short term, you sit a midfielder there and you say your one job is to break up the play, protect the back four. That then makes the rest of our midfield better, I think. Um and there might be upgrades to be made elsewhere. Like, do you look at centre-back? Do you look at centre-forward? You know, they're, they're questions to be asked. But also then, once you sign those players, Gerard and his staff then do have to get the best out of them as well. And so far, I'm not seeing a huge amount of evidence that we are getting the best out of either players who are here already or players who were signed in January. Like, I don't know what you guys think about that, but it's becoming more and more of a concern with me as the weeks pass. Because also, like, Gerard. He's had a couple of post-match interviews where he's called out players and criticised people. And then he seems to basically just pick the same players again and we lose again. Like, it's starting to feel a little bit repetitive. And, you know, that thing about, uh, you know, it's just madness to keep repeating the same mistakes. Yeah, no, it's a it's a weird one for me. And I feel like the mentality around kind of the fan base has changed, not only because of performances, but, I mean, you look at the way... Dean Smith managed and he was very, very protective of his players. If we had a really bad result, he kind of shielded that more so than I feel like Jared does. Let's be honest, Jared's pretty blunt and honest and very emotional post-match. Um, and I don't know, like, I mean, you see all these things coming out in the media with basically, um, I don't know how many of them are actual true quotes, but essentially around the lines of, well, shape up, you're going to ship out this summer. I mean, let's be honest, if you if that's the word that's basically and it feels like it's said every week now, and I don't know if it's actual true, but if it is, I mean, at what point do some players just tune out because they know they're probably going to be moved on? They probably know it's them or have some idea. And I feel like that's a, I mean, there's still a bunch of games left to play, and I feel like it's a very dangerous line to to kind of go down. And of course, no, I don't think we're going to get relegated or anything like that. Of course, let's throw that kind of ridiculous mindset out the window. But I, I don't know. That mentality does kind of throw more, more concern kind of out there, I would say. And it kind of, I wouldn't say it dampens the mood because it's nice to have some kind of honesty and it's refreshing. But at some point it does feel like it's, again, the same thing. And I mean, I don't really know what else we really want Jared to say post-match because I'm sure he's just as frustrated as we are, if not more so, because he's the one spending every day with these guys. But Let's let's kind of add in um, a uh, listener comment here because I've seen a few quotes around Tyrone Mings and the whole captaincy thing. And I, I feel like there is kind of questions going into next season if he will be the captain and um, to, to kind of, I guess, phrase around um, one of them to come in because it's a, let's be honest, I'm not going to read out the person's name because I don't want them to get abused because I know a bunch of people won't disagree, but they just kind of. Um, gave examples of Roy Keane or John Terry um, as captains and kind of, I wouldn't say, well, they basically, let's be blunt. They basically lame um, proclaimed Tyra Minks to be a fraud of a captain, which I don't agree in, but Simon, where do you sit with Mings as captain going into the future? Because I mean, if you look at who could be the captain next, you think it'd probably be already someone in the squad if it's someone coming in, they would have to be a, a true, true leader, wouldn't they? Yeah, I mean, as the, the current squad as it is, for me, I don't think there's any other alternative uh, that would be better than Ming. So you, you can obviously question his performances at times. And, you know, at times he does deserve criticism. I think, well, I think we both, most of us on this podcast are fairly consistent that we think at times he's overly criticised and harshly uh, harshly treated by a section of the fan base but there's no doubt in that we're a lot worse when he's not in the team and he's he's a leader he's you if you ever see uh, him being interviewed on you know any sort of various topics even outside the football he's very uh, he speaks very well he's very eloquent he, he's he's calm and measured when he's talking so that's for me that's what you want the captain you, you talk about people like uh, Roy Keane and John Terry, yeah, they were great captains, but they're different types. There's not one archetypal character that you have to be to be a captain. They can be many different 
performance, you know, Grealish was the perfect captain for us at the time he was there. You'd never say he was a Roy Key, but he was he was what he was the right person for the job at the time. And as it stands, I've got no problem with Mings being captain. Now, in the summer, <clears throat> obviously, if we don't know what the plans are for transfers coming in and players going out. That may be something that Gerard might want to have a look at in the summer, which is fair enough because, you know, we've kind of already said before, they're not his players and that is something to be taken into account. Um, so, yeah, maybe if he wants to have a look at in the summer, then, you know, that that's fine. But at the moment, I don't see why you would... I don't see what, why is it what the benefit would be for anyone uh, taking the captaincy off things with eight games to go. That would just be absolutely mental for me. Yeah, like I agree completely. And I think the one thing that's over overlooked by quite a lot of fans sometimes is that like being a captain, obviously it's great when you're in a really good side and you're winning. Really great. But like it's also being a captain of a football team, particularly an up and down football team like Villa is a, a real burden at times. Like think of after like yeah, after this weekend's game, like being captain of Villa can't feel particularly good after games like that, in all honesty. And I think it's something that gets overlooked a lot in what you need in a captain. And Mings is somebody who does it really well. Like he's willing to shoulder that burden and to take responsibility for stuff like that. Um, whereas I think, you know, we were talking Cole, about potential other um, candidates for captaincy, like playing the hypothetical game. If Mings does lose it and it's somebody within the team, like who'd you give it to? Like McGinn, Martinez, the thing is with them is like McGinn, particularly, I have to say, like, I love McGinn, but considering that his form is patchy at best and he's like taking a lot of flack from this fan base, like, would you really want to burden him with the captaincy as well as that? Like, the, it, you have to be a certain type of character, I think, to be willing to take on the, the highs and the lows of being a captain of a team like Villa. I think Mings does it really well. So, for me as well like again it depends what happens in the summer but I think he'd feel very hard done by to lose the captaincy and I kind of think that like the only time that Mings should or will lose the captaincy of Villa is if we get to a point where he is no longer our starting centre-back and I know that we have a lot of we have some fans who would like to see that already but Simon's hit the nail on the head like when Mings is out of the team like you think Conser's form is patchy now you know take Mings out of the team and our defence, there's just no organisation whatsoever. Um, so, yeah, it's a difficult one, but I I mean, actually, right now, it's not a difficult one. In the summer, it might be, if we, you know, if we reassess. But I think talk of any talk of, like, replacing him either in the team or as captain is um, extreme. Yeah, and I, I should re kind of clarify a lot of the quotes that I saw uh, during the week, I think, kind of led more into the summer and going into next season. But, yeah, I mean... Uh, again, within the current squad of players, kind of even going into next season, um, I mean, it, it, it's very far and few. And uh, again, is it much of a, a difference because they're also under the leadership of Ming? So I don't know. And also, there's a danger of removing it from him. Does that kind of that creates even more speculation around his future with the club? Does it undermine him a little bit? I don't feel like he's that character, but the media is going to build it into being that character um, that it'll bother him that much. But again, I mean, we do need improvements all around. Um, I would say in some areas, um, but if it's going to be in a center back position, they have to be one hell of a center back. And it just, it, it doesn't, and it can't just be because it's a big name. That's my biggest concern to be honest. But um, regardless of that, let's go to another um, Twitter comment that came in from Colin Frederick, who's always engaging with us. So thanks Colin for that. Um, he says, is next year a make or break for Villa? Um, it honestly feels like it. And to clarify, I mean, uh, make or break into a European side versus a long-standing mid-table team. If I quickly kind of jump on this, I, I, probably under Gerard, I would say yes. Long-termism, I'd probably say no. I hate the idea that every season now we're going into it going, it's a make or break. It's a make or break. The ownership has come in and stated and provided plenty of proof with the backing and infrastructure and everything else that this is a long-term ambition. Um, and you know what? I've got into that hype train as well that we need to do it now and now and now. I, maybe it takes three or four seasons. Maybe it takes more. Maybe it takes less. 
But uh, Simon, how do you feel about that? Um, I wouldn't say there's a make or break. No, I wouldn't agree with that. I just think it just needs to show the clear sign of improvements and that that the club is moving forward. It's, I think we discussed a few weeks ago sort of the jump from finishing 11th last season to even finishing just 8th. Like, is, that's, that's a big jump and a lot of... A lot of money is required, uh, especially uh, the points against or going over our ground from the other week. But we had three years out of the Premier League, so we've, we've been spending the last two, three years almost having to catch up with some of the other mid-table teams around us. So I don't think it's... A, obviously, we'd all love to finish in, your, in the European spot next season. I don't think it's necessarily like you. we have to be... We'd have to finish in the top six or seven or it's a failure and Gerard's failed. I think... I think the owners have shown that they're willing to give managers time. And, you know, within Dean Smith, his first season, when we got back up into the Premiership, <clears throat> back to the summer, stayed up just about, but we stayed up. And then the following summer, he was given good backing again. And we went and finished 11th. The summer just gone. Okay, we lost Grealish, but he, though he's still given quite a lot of backing to bring other players in. And there was no progression. I think that's where the issue will come in. Is if I, th- I think I, th- I think you can't giving managers one season is I think quite harsh. And okay, I know he's obviously had sort of half a season with us already, but not that you write this season off as a free hit. But I think you you can get a bit of leeway with where we've done this season. Next year, I think. I don't think that. Yeah, I know. I don't think that we, you say we'd have to finish in Europe next season. Um, we could finish eighth or ninth next season, and it could still be a good, decent season. Improvements upon this one, especially. Also, I think Gerard, um, from the way he's spoken before, he he wants to have a real go at the domestic cups, and he wants to take them seriously. And he, and he did this season. With, you know, obviously, we were unfortunate to have gone out to, to Man U in that third round. So, that is, I think that might be a, a more realistic route into European football uh, for the following season than trying to aim for a top six or seven finish next season. I think, I think that would be tough. Yeah, I like I I agree about the cups. Actually, like we were very unlucky this year. What was it, Ch- Chelsea in the League Cup? And yeah, penalties, pen, wasn't penalty, it? Pen, yeah, penalties. Yeah, out. and then United in the FA Cup, where there were both like we played well, and there was you know the usual refereeing nonsense against United. Like we were really unlucky with the draw and with the way that those those games went. Um, and like you know, we're, like we we're talking about it, we've we've made very fast progress over the last like three years, like big jumps every year. This year was always going to be really difficult. Um, next year is going to be really difficult as well to get like top. If you're thinking of like seventh is the what the lowest european spot probably depending on what happens in the cups but probably um to get from where we are now to get from where we were last season to seventh was huge to get from where we are now to seventh is even bigger actually because we've got 36 points from 31 games that's not good that's really not good um so i think with the, the you know the manager thing is definitely right as well like you got a we we've clearly appointed gerard um with at least a medium term time frame, right? Don't think anybody, or you'd hope that nobody was expecting a remarkable improvement in European qualification like immediately, because if they were, that was crazy. Um, we've got no, I know I've just, you know, we've been a little critical or at least like questioning of Gerard um, on this pod and in other episodes, but like, should say that now that there's no way that we're meaning to contribute to the debate of like the, you know, the idea that you should sack Gerard and move on. Cause like, that's not gonna, you're not gonna get anywhere doing that. Um, the only option we have now really is to just back him both financially and in terms of support and morale as a fan base and as a club and ownership back him and see what happens, I guess. Um, I do think that going for the cups next season, if you get kind of draws and, and everything like you do need a bit of luck, but that, could be a way in and also like we're a really we're a, we're a fan base desperate to see some something to really cheer about right like that a, a good cup run would be a really nice thing to have next season um 
just another point on like the make or break season. A, it's nice that the break, you know, break is only sort of finishing mid table makers Europe. Whereas like, you know, not long ago break was, uh, relegation and then prolonged financial disaster. So we've come a long way in that regard. Um, the only one of the issues I have is just that, like, I feel like the way that the club and I'm talking the club, I'm talking people like Perslow, the way the club is trying to sort of project itself at the moment feels a little bit um, almost a bit ridiculous compared to the reality. Like, I feel like we're trying to project ourselves as a club who are massively on the rise, like on the verge of Europe, going to have loads of success moving forward and stuff and establish ourselves again as a really big name, you know, uh, well-performing team over a consistent basis. Like I'm all for being ambitious and being, you know, aiming for stuff like that. But like, I do think there's a bit of a reality check needed that we are a firmly mid table team. And like, because of the upheaval and a lot of factors, not just because of performance or anything, a lot of factors changing manager, like losing our playing identity and all that sort of stuff. Like we've actually gone backwards and I don't necessarily mean that in like, Oh, we're crap. Like it's rubbish. But like we have, we have gone backwards. Like let's be real about it because there's been a lot of upheaval, a lot of turnover. Like let's just have a bit of a reality check. Um, We're a mid table team. I know we all want to be more, but taking that next step is really difficult. Um, I'm inclined to agree that like, if we finish, if we can get ourselves up to like eighth or ninth next season, with a view to then launching a proper push for Europe the following season, I would count that as progress. And I think that is what we should be aiming for rather than spend a lot of money on big names and try and get sixth or seventh next year. I I just, let's aim for it. But I don't think that should be like the expectation. I think it should be the optimistic aim. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's, I mean, getting one or two big names in that are, like a Coutinho like caliber is fantastic. But I think we also have to remind ourselves, we need to find value in the market again, too. Like the thing I think with a lot of fans and sometimes, I mean, I'll admit, I probably fall into that mindset too. If I think about it too quickly with not enough context is some people just want to go and say, Oh, you have to spend 30 million on every player you have. Well, we're not man city. Like it's never going to happen. But (laughs) in regards to the whole cup thing, I don't know why, but I think when it comes to Villa, when we expect things that doesn't happen and when we least expect things that does, like, I mean, staying up, who expected us to get promoted when we did um, the Carabao Cup final run? I mean, to be honest, I thought, well, we're long due for one. It's been so long. It's only really been a couple seasons since we've gotten to a final um, that we've lost competitively. And I just will never remember the FA Cup one before that. Let's erase that from our our mindsets. But regardless of that, I, I think it's a good way to really get everyone kind of back on the same page and you know what if we finish next season in i don't know ninth or tenth or even eleventh and we won a cup or we got to the final or something like that that's progress because where we're gonna let's be realistic we're gonna probably finish around the way we're playing around 15th i would say so you went backwards anything the next season above that realistically you would have to say is albeit it's not Europe probably but technically it's progress again again so especially under Gerard where he hasn't had a full season so um we'll have to wait and see in regards to that um there was one comment that came in that I wish I saw earlier and I didn't even realize it um it was in regards to Esri Khan's we've already kind of beaten that to horse to death in that conversation per se um and it was in regards to kind of how poorly he's been as of late and this just kind of notes um, that for, I think it's center backs that have 10 or more appearances this season, Konza ranks 27th out of the 45 total for total tackles. Um, I just kind of wanted to give um, notice to that. I think the handle is at the face 34 who brought that up. So, so thanks for uh, getting involved and sending that over as well. It kind of, it kind of does shed a light that um, in regards to Konza, I guess we do consider him um, someone who should be, kind of on that cusp of representing England. But when you do do look at the lack of tackles he makes at times, it, it does kind of maybe raise a few questions. And of course, as of late, that only heighten it. So let's, let's move on from that because I don't want to get back into that debate. But let's go to another comment here from John C., who I think also gets involved regularly. So thank you very much, John. Um, he says, we need a clinical striker. The team creates enough, just can't finish. 
without calling out individuals. The balance of the defensive players just doesn't work either. Two or three players down the spine of the team and will be right up there. Um, there was a comment off that from someone else saying we don't get you don't get more clinical than Danny Ings probably. Um, but Tom, I'll throw this back your way because I mean we, we've all discussed the whole striker thing, and I, I mean I'm one that thinks Cameron Archer has a bright future at Villa, and I think he needs to be used sooner rather than later. Of course, he's only 20, so I don't know. Maybe another season on loan does him more better than sitting on the bench more so, or you know what? Maybe he just takes the world by storm and he's the best striker Villa have seen for the last decade or two or whatever and tops the uh, Benteke memories we all have because that's probably the, the cusp of striker stardom we've had probably for the last what I don't know decade plus at least so um, what do you make of all that yeah I mean I would have agreed to, like at the start of the season when we signed him maybe I think I did say actually that like you don't get much more clinical than Danny Ings but like based on this weekend's uh, <laughs> based on this weekend's viewing you do um, I think it depends what happens in the summer like you know it's a big question isn't it but if you're looking at upgrading like I don't want us to go out necessarily and spend a bunch of money on like loads of players and have way more squad overhaul because that's not you're not going to get instant results from that I think two or three key upgrades while retaining you know, a, a pretty settled core, but just adding a few pieces in is the way to go rather than completely overhauling. That's my that's my opinion on it. But I think it's fair to look at the strikers and say, well, if you're looking at upgrading the spot, like core positions in the team, I don't think you can overlook, um, you know, the consideration of, of upgrading at, at striker because if we want to, you, know, you know, where we want to be, if we want to be a team challenging for Europe, you got to take your chances. Like, look at, I know Spurs are like, Spurs are comfortably a level or more above us. So like, I'm not trying to compare us equally, but like, just look at how clinical they were uh, uh, this weekend. Didn't have, you know, the XG thing for this game, I couldn't give a toss about, to be honest, because it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't matter, does it? If you miss your chances, who cares? It's good that we were creating chances, but Spurs didn't need to create that many chances because they scored the ones that they did create. Um, I was, it was disappointed with Ings because Ings, I do still think, is a real natural finisher and like he's looked very good, particularly at Southampton, like really clinical. I expected more from him with the chances he got. The back post one, also the, the really clever free kick routine, which I'd love to see more of. Um, real shame because I think he thought he had, I think maybe he thought the keeper was bearing down on him more, more quickly because he had a bit more time than he thought. You know, he tried to hit it while it was still quite high in the air. Um, so that was a shame. Watkins we've spoken about already. Like I, I really like Ollie Watkins. I think he's been hit hard by the loss of a certain player last summer. Um, and and also like he does a lot of hard work, and he does score. He does score a decent number of goals, but might he doesn't half miss chances. And at what point do you think there's room to upgrade there? can't we have a striker who scores every second or third chance instead of a striker who scores every fifth or sixth chance? Like that's the dream, isn't it? <laughs> Cameron Archer, goal machine in, you know, for Preston, seven in 15 games or whatever I think it is now. Um, obviously there's the, there's the question about like, well, that's the championship. Like, can you step up? But we were talking about this before the pod, like Ollie Watkins stepped up, didn't score as many in the Premier League for us as he scored in the championship the season before, but you wouldn't expect him to. Uh, Tammy Abraham, went to Chelsea and, you know, went back to Chelsea after our after our promotion season, deemed a failure by some Chelsea fans. But you look at his goal record, it's actually not that bad. He's gone to Roma and he's, you know, smashing them in for fun. I, I, I get that you don't want to expect that a striker can make the transition from Championship to Premier League seamlessly because it's probably not going to happen. But it depends what happens in the summer. But if you say for argument's sake that we don't sign a high-profile, first-team-ready striker this summer. Say we go in next season with Ings and Watkins, either together or one of them at a time, as our main two striker options. I'd love to see Cameron Archer as the third striker. I'd really love it, because he might not make the step up. He might struggle or whatever, you know. But if he does, wait till January. If by January he's either not getting any minutes or he's getting minutes and he's really not, impressing that much looking like they still work to be done loan him out in january 
you know, just give him a, I'd like, I'd like to see him given a go because even if we, if we step back for a second, like we're all football fans, we're all Villa fans. I just want stuff to be excited about. I want some stuff to be excited about and I want stuff to enjoy watching as a Villa fan. Cameron Archer, even coming off the bench for 20 minutes a time in the Premier League next season will be something that will get us excited. And when you're a mid-table team like this, you've got to take the wins as they come, I think. Like Jacob Ramsey's the big example, isn't he? Moment of the game this weekend was Ramsey sort of slaloming through the defence and then Lloris pulling off that, frankly, outrageous save. Um, that, you know, that's the kind of stuff that gets you off your seat, whether you're at home or you're in the ground. And I think that Archer definitely has that in his locker. Because... I know that making the step up from championships hard or whatever, but like scored at Stamford Bridge, didn't he? In the cup for us already. Came off the bench a couple of times in the league and looked pretty lively. He's clearly got the talent. He's a natural finisher. Don't expect too much of him, but I'd love to see him thrown in a little bit more next year. Um, obviously, that maybe changes. Like if we do sign a high profile striker who we're looking at giving game time either instead of Watkins and Ings or as well as, you know, I don't know, maybe if we sign a striker, then one of Watkins or Ings leaves in the summer. That's obviously a question as well. So it's difficult to assess, but if you're going into the start of next season with two established first choice strikers, whether they're Watkins and Ings or other people, I'd, I would, I'd love to see Archer as the, as the third option. There's also a question mark over Keenan Davis, the way that he's been playing for Forrest, but I, I am in the camp of, I think that ship has sailed. I like Keenan Davis a lot, but I just I just can't see it really. Um, I think he'll probably sign for Forest permanent in the summer. And best of luck to him. I hope he does really really well there. Yeah, I mean, regardless, I mean, with Keenan Davis especially, I think the only it, it's truly beneficial to us. Either we keep him and it works out, or you let him go and it's pure profit. Really, I mean, considering whatever the fee was probably way back when he was playing non-league if there even was much of a fee or compensation or whatever it was to now it's you know we've just upped his value and in regards to Cameron Archer I think you know what like it's an excitement factor and I think the thing that makes most Villa fans impatient is well Christ we've already seen him score for the first team against Chelsea and he could have had a second in that game as well so um and it was against a very good Chelsea side as well. So, I mean, it, it's a little bit of a tease to sit back and think. And I, I think it is a little bit foolish for some fans to say, well, it, you know what? It, it's just going to be another one that's not going to work out. Because I think a lot of us look at the whole Chequemeca situation, which I literally, let's not discuss it. But I think we're just going to waste our young talent like we have in the past. And I don't really think that's the case. But at the end of the day, it's the, the whole striker thing in the summer is like fascinating to me. Like we still have Wesley technically. I know he has no future here, but so you have to figure out what you're going to do with Cameron Archer, what you're going to do with Keenan Davis, what you're going to do with Wesley or one of Ollie Watkins and Danny Ings going to be gone as well. Um, there's a, I think there's going to be a lot more overhaul than probably I or anyone really initially thought. Um just on players like that, you look at probably El Ghazi as well and Traore and other players too. And I mean, the list goes on and on. It's going to be a very interesting summer. And the more I kind of list some of those players off, I do wonder if that'll even have much of an impact on the squad personally, because I feel like some of those players are so far out on the fringes. It probably doesn't really matter, but regardless, It'll be interesting to see what players are brought in and uh, which ones we're linked with and don't happen and go to a club like Spurs because seeing Benton Kerr yesterday and who knows how true that that whole kind of saga was, but to sit back and say, oh, he's pretty good, isn't he? That would have been nice to have. Um, just one of those little slaps in the face that you think, you know what, would have been nice to have another yeah. addition in the, well, the report. So what was the, the late, what was the sort of last word on that was that he basically chose Spurs over us. Yeah, I think right? he wanted that... to move to London or something instead. Well, like, like I'm not being funny as well. Like he's kind of been proven right, hasn't he? That moving to Spurs was the better thing to do. Like they're a better team. He plays well, a lot. It's Conte versus Gerard. I know who I'm going to personally. So like I know we all kind of initially put Gerard on this pedestal, but it's Antonio freaking Conte. Like let's be honest. The the man turns everything around wherever he goes. He's a serial winner. Yeah, like, if United if United had gone for him and got him, they'd be in Europe. They'd probably they'd be <laughs> they'd probably be top four, I think. Yeah. 
<laughs> I don't know if that's a, if that was a joke or not, but anyways. Oh, you mean Conte? I thought you meant Bentoncourt. I thought, uh, what? <laughs> okay. Anyways. Oh, no, yeah, Conte. <laughs> <laughs> anyways, um, regardless of that, let's get over to the three order views um, and then we'll, we'll get off there because I know all of us want to watch the Liverpool versus City game, which I'm sure will somehow now enter or finish, I should say, uh, nil-nil or something like that. And it'll be just very boring. Um, now that we're very excited for it but uh, anyways um, there's nothing exciting about Villa as of late so hopefully we can uh, focus more on other teams and enjoy their successes a little bit but anyways of course you can tweet us at 7500 Holt with the three word reviews they usually go out about five to 15 minutes post-match there's over a hundred of them and I haven't even looked at them yet so I'm gonna have to be very careful (laughs) what I read out because I hope it's appropriate but thank you to everyone for getting involved Uh, Dave DeGurnier who's a constant um, person interacting with us thank you very much Dave he says bring Archer home Um, Aston Villa Rise says next transfer window Um, Neary says end of season John C what I expected Uh, Shendo AVFC embarrassing confusing uh, stalling Jake saying Konza McGinn out. Uh, Tyrell Furlow saying need a six. Simon saying couldn't finish breakfast. Um, I still haven't had my breakfast, so that's going to be the next thing I do today. Um, but anyways, that's that's very accurate. Um, Ernie uh, Barnhurst own half, or sorry, not own half, one half wonders. Sorry there, Bernie. Um, Emmy, where's the goal? Uh, let's do two or three more here. Uh, Paul Wright, take your chances. Um, Joe Thoma, I want to say your last name is sorry, Joe. I'm brutal at pronouncing last names. Still in Prem, and we'll finish with um, Oliver saying midfield is wank. Um, because I feel like that's how a lot of people kind of feel, so that, that's a good way to end it. Um, I'll go through and probably like a bunch of them afterwards to kind of show the appreciation for interacting. But regardless, thank you for everyone for getting involved. We're not going to do a match ball again, um, I'm going against my word again because uh, I did one for player ratings, I gave it to Jacob Ramsey, and it was very hard to even give it to anyone yesterday, to be honest. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that. I think we'll uh, we'll leave things there. Hopefully, everyone enjoyed this. It's it's a very uh, mixed emotion pod with a lot of annoyance, frustration, a little bit of optimism. Um, and you know what, a little bit of, um, I mean, you know what, blind optimism probably is the best way to put it. Cause who the hell knows with Aston Villa, we could be up one day, we can be relegated the next and then we're back and we think we're the, the, the dog's bollocks, I guess you could say, but anyways, we'll have to wait and see what happens. But anyways, thank you very much to Tom and for to Simon for joining me. You can find us all on Twitter um, in the links of wherever you're listening to this podcast, whether it be Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your pods, leave a positive review. It just makes it easier for other people to find us. But anyways, we'll leave it there. And don't forget, up the villa. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.